Today we have a problem in our culture. We, we really have a big problem in our culture. And that problem is threatening to consume us, to, to wear us out. That, that problem serves to make us bitter and angry and depressed and stressed out. That, that problem is ruining our homes. It's messing up our relationships. That problem is messing up our health. Uh, that problem, this problem is, is, is ruining our finances. Uh, we live in a world of financial just mess and chaos. Uh, this, this problem is tripping up our kids. And you watch our kids as they grow up and as they leave our homes. This, this problem is messing up our kids. This problem is eating up our days. It is stealing our purposes. It's robbing us of our joy. This problem is hindering our relationship with God. It's that big of a problem. This problem is actually hindering our relationship with God. And it is a problem of our day. It is, in fact, I believe the problem of our day. Uh, it is the problem that, that comes from our culture. Uh, it is a problem that the world has pushed on us and the world continues to push on us. It is a problem that Satan has promoted to us and I believe he's the root of it all. He is promoting it and we are perishing today because of this problem. I watch folks and they're older and I watch folks as they're, as they're raising their families. I watch younger folks as they're, as they're growing up and starting their new lives. This problem is, is, is wrecking havoc in our culture today. We are absolutely perishing because of this problem. Today the problem is this. We today have no idea of what really matters. Well, that sounds pretty simple, but that's, that's the problem. We have no idea today what really matters. We are completely messed up. We're completely backwards as a culture when it comes to discerning what really matters. And I'll just tell you, the problem is we're acting like some things matter and we're spending our money and we're spending our effort and we're spending our time acting like some of these things matter when they really do not. And at the same time, we are letting go, we are neglecting, we are overlooking or flat ignoring the things that truly matter. And for that in our world today, in our culture today, we are truly paying a price. This morning, I'm going to give you the secret to a fulfilled life. The secret to a meaningful life. You didn't know how lucky you were to be here today. The secret to living a life that honors our creator God. Isn't that how you want to live? Don't you want to wake up with a purpose? Don't you want to get out of bed in the morning and I've got a great purpose and this matters, my days matter and you march off into your day and you come home at night and you're worn out from serving that great cause. A life that truly matters before God. And so today we're going to see the secret really for the life that God really calls for. Here is the secret. Listen very carefully. It comes in two parts. How to have a meaningful life. How to serve a purposeful life. A life that God has created for you to live. Here it is. Two parts. First is this. Find what matters 
number one. Number two, totally commit to what matters. Somebody ought to charge you $99 to hear that this morning. To live a meaningful life, a, a life of purpose, a life that glorifies the God that intimately created you. Find what matters and totally commit to what matters. Now be sure this morning, this isn't my truth, it is God's truth. And so it's found in his word. Today we've moved into the, the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Today we're in Luke chapter 21, today verses 1 through 6. Luke chapter 21, today verses 1 through 6. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. God's word says this. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this widow put in more than all of them. For they out of their surplus put into the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned and beautiful, with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be one stone upon another left, which will not be torn down. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're rejoicing over the testimony of baptism that we saw this morning. I pray for, for Braden that he'll find a church that will surround him, encourage him in the truth of God's word, grow him in the truth of God's word, establish him on a, a foundation that's gonna endure. I, I pray that he exists and lives for the glory of our God. Help us as a church encourage that. Lord, I come and I pray for these that have gathered here this morning. I pray that you have brought them here. I know that you have. I pray that you have encouraged them, that you'll continue to do so. I, I pray as we study your word that you would speak to us. And I would pray that we would understand this is a supernatural event. And so God, I ask that you would remove any hindrance, any barrier to your speaking to us today. Lord, I pray for some in this room right now who do not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that today in the hearing of your word, in the heavy conviction of your spirit, I pray that today in this hour, they would put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. Lord, we, we trust this to you. We turn it over to you. We ask that you take it, that you use it, that you multiply it. And most of all, we ask that you would be glorified through it. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, let's look very quickly at our verses and see what God says. Again, a very deep subject, a very big subject, but we want to see what God says. And as we start the process, let me, let me point out here really uh, something we need to be continually reminded of, how awesome that God tells us in his word this truth. In fact, he tells us in his word all truths that we need to live now and for 
eternity. And how awesome is it that God tells us in his word this truth that we're gonna look at today and all the truths that we need to live now and for eternity. That's an awesome thing. Do you know how many people today are trying to find the truth? How many people today are trying to find a source of meaning and purpose in their life? Well, it's as simple as this. God has told us in his word, and so we will look in his word. That's an awesome thing. Beginning today in chapter 21, verse one, it says this. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And, starts off, and he looked up. Now remember here, he has been teaching there in the temple courtyard. Also remember, he has been responding to the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they have been trying to set snares for him, as they've been trying to, to set traps for him. Remember, they, they do not like him. They want him removed. They're gonna, they're gonna actually seek it and, and take his life. Well, they have been setting snares for them as he's been teaching there in the temple courtyard. Also there, on these occasions, as he has taught, he has warned and he has taught his disciples on and through these occasions. Now, remember this. He knows he is in his last few days. And I think we have to see that to understand the context. He understands these are his last few days. He understands very shortly he's gonna be delivered over to the cross of Calvary. He understands these are his last hours with these people. And I, I can't believe that he is wasting a single word at this point. I believe he is very deliberate in each word that he speaks at this point. And in that context, it says, and he looked up. The Bible says, and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. So there he is, and he's in his last days. There he is, and he's been teaching there in the courtyard. There he is, and these Pharisees and these Sadducees have tried to set traps and snares for him. And he looks up, and there in the courtyard, he sees the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Now the treasury was found in the courtyard of the women. There were layers of the courtyard and you can only go as far as you could go. There was a, a courtyard for the Gentiles. There was a courtyard for women and they could go that far in their progression into the temple. Well, in that courtyard, there were 13 chests that were placed there, that were stationed there for the giving of specific offerings. That is described to us in the book of Deuteronomy. And so he's there evidently in that courtyard and there are the 13 chests that are stationed there for the giving of offerings. He looks up and he sees, the Bible says, the rich. In the Greek, this word rich means abounding in wealth, abounding in material resources, the things that they needed. They, they abounded in those things. It literally translates muchness, muchness. Think about this today. How much, and maybe you need to sit there as I did and think about your individual life, how much of what we do 
Think about how you spend your hours. Think about the the course of your days. How much of, of what we do, how much of what we seek is centered on muchness? Really, we would say more. How much of what you do in the course of the next seven days will be seeking more money or more stuff? Or it's not proper English, but more better stuff. I have to have these clothes, but I need this brand of clothing. More, better stuff. And and you know what? We need more cars. You know what? I have this car, but it's not enough. I want more of a car, a better car. You know what? We take trips, and we want. It's not enough to just run over here. We want more trips, better trips. And you know what? We live in this neighborhood, and this this house seems to be doing the trick. But we want a better neighborhood, a more esteemed neighborhood. And not only that, once we have that house, we want more stuff to put in the house. And it seems today we are a people driven by muchness. How much of your time in the next week will you spend seeking more of something? Now with that said, let me point out here. The point to these verses, the point to this discussion, listen very carefully because they have been misrepresented many times, I believe. These verses have been misapplied many times, I believe. You see, this is not about a religious practice. It's not about the taking of our offerings. It's not about religious appearance. Oh, I have to be there this many times and I have to be observed putting money in the treasury. This is not about money. This is not about giving. Seems when I think about that, that's pretty much what I've heard. Most of the sermons were about these verses and how we're to use this as examples for our giving. It's really not about any of those things. Really, Jesus here, in the context of very soon going to the cross of Calvary, is discussing what really matters. Verse two. I'm gonna read verse one again, then we'll hit verse two. And he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Verse two. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And, starts with the same word of comparison. Verse one, he, and he looked up and he saw the rich. Now in verse two, and he now sees this poor widow putting in her two small copper coins. Now, the two coins, if you go to the other gospel accounts, they held the equivalence of one one-hundredth of a day's wages. If you worked all day, the pay that you were due for that day, if you divided it by a hundred, one one-hundredth of a day's worth of wages. I was thinking about this today. If you went to a job and you worked eight hours and you were paid $9 an hour to work at that job, This lady, when she came and put her two coins in, put the equivalent of 72 cents. 72 cents. Jesus sees her. And here she comes and she approaches one of the 13 stations there. She pulls out her two small coins and he watches as they plink down. Plink, plink. Almost unnoticed. The word poor here translates 
to be in need of the things needed to live. That's literally what it translates. To be in need of, you need the things that you need to live. Really, it, it means to be hungry. She is in need of what it, what it would take to live. Her stomach is empty. She is hungry. And so we see this widow lady. She is poor. She is in need of the very things that it takes to live. And here she comes, and she puts in her two coins, her 72 cents, and passes by. Clink, clink. Verse 3. And he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. And he said, he is still, now understand, talking to his disciples. Verse three, he's talking to his disciples. He is sitting there with his disciples and he is making the point to his disciples. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. Now let me just say this, it is not about giving. We're gonna see that very clearly in a few moments. It is not about money but I also want you to be very sure and see this today. Both of those things, your giving and how you see money are a sign or both of those things are an evidence of what truly matters to you. Now that's what I'm gonna say. This isn't about money. It's not about giving, but both of those things, your giving and how you see your money, they are an evidence of what truly matters to you. Now, let me just make a promise to you. I promise if you find a person and they are a generous giver, they are a cheerful giver, they are an obedient giver, if, if that is the evidence of their life, I want to tell you, it shows that they are serving what really matters. It shows that they know what really matters. And I could give you example after example. You, you find a generous person and a person that's obedient in their giving. They are serving what really matters because they know what really matters. The flip side of that, and I could promise you this as well. If you find a legalistic giver, if you find a tight-fisted giver, if you have, find a person that has all of the reasons not to give, not now, not like this, not this much. If you find a person like that, it is also an evidence they do not know what truly matters and they are not serving what truly matters. I truly believe that. Verse three. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Verse four. For they out of their surplus put into the offering, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. They gave and it was out of their surplus. They gave and it was out of their overflow. They did all the things they wanted to do. They bought all the things they needed to buy and they gave out of their overflow. Let me tell you, it is easy to give out of the overflow. It's easy to give what's really not gonna cost you. The Bible says, Jesus says, she gave out of her poverty, her lackness. She gave out of her poverty. The Bible says she put in all that she had to live on. What it means is for her, it wasn't the extra. For her, this was it. 
And as Jesus is there in the courtyard, and as he looks up and he sees these rich and pious people as they, as they pass by and they put their gifts in the treasury, Jesus sees her. And he sees her as she pitches it in. Clink, clink. The next verses, verses five and six, in my experience, they have always been tied to the verses underneath them and not these verses. They've always been tied to the verses that are gonna follow these verses. You read this account, it says the temple is gonna be destroyed and then the next part it says, and they wanna know when these things are going to happen. And most of the time, that's how these verses have been, have been presented. They are tied to the verses that are following them. Well, if you go back to the accounts, this same account in Mark chapter 13 and also in Matthew chapter 24, you'll see when you read those accounts, the account starting in verse seven, when it's talking about, Lord, tell us when these things are gonna happen, that account starting in verse seven starts a discourse or a discussion that takes place on the Mount of Olives. And these verses, when these verses take place, they're still at the temple. And so I believe that they go together. I believe these four verses and these two verses go together. I believe they are a continuation. Not only does it say that in the other two gospel accounts, but as you read this, to me it only makes sense. They are still in the, the temple courtyard, and so these verses are a continuation. These verses are a continuing on. Now in that context, listen to verse five. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, while some were talking about the temple, if you read in Mark and Matthew, it was some of the disciples that were saying that. And so there they are, and they're in the courtyard, and they see this event with the rich folks, and they see the event with the, with the poor widow woman. And then some of the disciples, they were remarking, remarking here how beautiful the temple was, how adorned the temple was. They were remarking on the beauty of the stones there. And it says, and the votive gifts. Now follow with me here. The temple is rebuilt. Solomon's temple, the first temple is destroyed and then it is rebuilt. Then in the first century before Christ, Herod really makes a partnership with the Jewish leaders and his partnership is to redo the temple itself, to take in more land, to expand the courtyards, to add courtyards, to, to add to the temple grounds, and to really redecorate the temple itself. It was called the Herodian Temple. Uh, it was to be a testimony to his power, to, to his wealth. It was to be a, a testimony to his kingdom. And so he makes a deal with these Jewish leaders. I'm gonna expand the temple. I'm gonna redecorate the temple and it's gonna reflect back on me. It's gonna be a, a testimony, a witness to me. Historians tell us at this time it was a place to see. It was a splendid place. There was an atmosphere like a, like a bazaar, like a, a crowded marketplace. There was a, a festive act, atmosphere there as, as all the people came. Josephus, a Jewish historian, he writes about it and he refers to the polished marble stones. Not in the Bible, a Jewish historian actually refers to 
the polished marble stones. He said some of them, listen to this, were 67 feet by seven feet tall by nine feet thick. Unimaginable, one solid piece of marble. There, there were gold decorations, there were gold fixtures, there were gold hinges, there was handcrafted art everywhere. It was a splendid, splendid sight to see. And as they're watching the comings and goings, as they're watching this event, some of the disciples say, man, look at this temple. Look how wonderful the stones are. Look how wonderful the, the, the decorations are. Now, before we move off from here, it says, and the votive gifts, my translation here. Another translation says, the consecrated gifts. Now, what that means is it is an offering dedicated by a worshiper. These were things, what it's talking about here, these were things, decorative items that people had given to the, to the cause of redecorating the temple. These were things that in their worship they had brought and they had donated there to the temple. Now think about that for just a second. The focus of the temple was to remind them of the presence of God. The glory of the temple was to point to the glory of our living God. And now these people had attached their glory to the glory of the temple. And so when they came there into the courtyards, they could say, you see that gold? My granddad gave that gold. You see that silver? That is my silver. And the temple had become a place of show. It had become a place of pretense. Look at this gold. Look at these floors. Look at this marble. Look at these decorations. Not only that, look what I gave. And they're there and they're bragging on the splendor of the temple. And while they were saying these things, Jesus said, verse six, as for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be one stone, there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. Here in verse six, Jesus says, you see all of these things, all of these things, all of the rage, all of the talk, all of the stones, all of the gold. He says, you see all of these things, there will be a day that comes and there will be a day on that day that none of these things will endure. None of these things will last. And on that day, none of these things will have mattered, not one bit. Listen, get the point to this. Jesus is showing here this is impressive. The things of this world, they're impressive. The best that man can do, they're so grand. And all of our focus is on these things. All of our investment is on these things. But get the point, Jesus is showing this isn't what matters. None of it matters. None of it will last. And to his disciples, he is saying, find what matters Find what matters. Oh, look how splendid he says. None of it's gonna last. Find what matters and commit to what matters. My lands, how did we ever get so far off track? Find what matters and commit to that. How did we ever get so far off track? Jesus said in Matthew 26, 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? If he gains the whole world, he actually does it. He he pulls it off and he gains the whole world. What will it profit that man if he forfeits his own soul? Friends, listen to me. We commit to our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is the way. He is, as followers of Christ, our priority. We commit to our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we are to commit totally. That's what Jesus was saying. We totally commit. We totally commit. One last thing this morning. So what does total commitment look like? So I'm going to tell you, we, we've heard this. Haven't we heard this? We've, we've heard all about this. We know that the eternal is all that matters. We understand lay up for yourself not treasures on earth. We've heard this. We've heard this. That's not the issue, is it? The issue is total commitment. You see, we like the name Jesus. We, we like the, the cause of Jesus. We like to, to sing and talk about Jesus. We like for sure the eternal life of Jesus, but total commitment to Jesus. That's what gets us, isn't it? And so what does total commitment look like? Three parts, we're almost done. Three parts from our verses. What does total commitment look like? First, total surrender. Total surrender. This lady, this widow lady, notice here, she had completely given over her cause. The Bible says, but out of her poverty, out of her likeness, she put in all. She was surrendered. These others, Notice them, notice as they go by, these rich folks, they liked what they had. They liked where they were. They liked their station in life. They, they wanted to keep some of those things. They, they wanted to keep their positions. They wanted to keep their priorities. They wanted to keep their wealth. You know what, I may need this. I may want to pass it on. You know what, this may add to my ego. They wanted to keep some of those things, but not her. She was totally surrendered. Listen, for us to be totally committed, we have to be totally surrendered. What that means is we have to set it all down. We have to give it all over. Control, it's yours, God. Security, what if this fails? Security, it's yours. All of it, the kids, the kids, they're yours. My time, my own time, it's yours, God. We have to set it all down. We have to surrender totally. Jesus said, he who wishes to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. First, total commitment requires total surrender. Second, total commitment requires total sacrifice. Total commitment requires total sacrifice. Because there is total surrender, it will require 
sacrifice. See this in the verses as well. It says, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. Do not miss that. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. They had given what was comfortable. They had given what was doable. But she had given it all. She had totally committed to Jesus and she had counted the cost and had given it all. Be sure to totally commit to Jesus Christ. Listen to me. It's gonna cost you. Nobody wants to say that anymore. Do you understand that? To, to totally commit to Jesus Christ is going to cost you. In fact, today people flat out lie about that. People flat out misrepresent that. And they say, you know what? If you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're gonna get this and you're gonna get that and you're gonna have these things and you're gonna have this job and this wealth and you're never gonna get sick and they promise all this. If you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll be all of this. But Jesus says, be prepared. It's gonna cost you. Total commitment is gonna cost you. Jesus, in fact, says, count the cost. Count the cost. Be sure you wanna pay the cost. Our biggest issue today is the cost of total commitment's too high. The cost of, of total commitment, total commitment is too costly. And yes, we'd like to have some of these things. We'd like to carry the name of Christ, but we're not willing to pay the cost, not really. Total commitment requires total sacrifice. And that brings us to the third thing. Total commitment requires total trust. Total commitment requires Total trust. Now notice this again. This lady, she puts it all in. Now I think maybe we missed the, the magnitude of that. She's already hungry. She's already starving. I don't know if you've ever been in that position, but she's, she's already hungry. She's already starving. And she throws in her final 72 cents and clink, clink. It goes there to the bottom. She'll either live or she'll die. But either way, she trusts God. There's nothing held back. She trusts God. Friends, let me tell you, we have to get to a place that we so know God and we so know his character and we so know his nature and we know, so know his actions in the past and we so know his promises in the future that we totally trust God. Total commitment is not gonna happen unless we totally trust God and total trust in God comes from his word. Oh, I'd like to trust God like that. It grows in his word. As we totally surrender as we willingly pay the cost and as the last coins clink down, we can say, God, I'm trusting you. I picture this is how this ends. Jesus watches this lady he sees her with his eyes. 
he, he sees her with his heart. It's her heart, his heart that really sees her. And he, he sees this woman and she has no value in the society. She is, she is a widow. She has no value there. Sure, her heart is broken. Her husband is gone. Evidently, she must not have any family. And so here she is and she is alone and she has no husband. She's lost him and she evidently has no family. And here she is and she has nothing to her name and her, her, her hopes have been dashed. Whatever she thought her life would be, it hasn't turned out that way. And not only that, but now her life is rough and she's hungry there in her stomach and yet she is willing to sacrifice. Yet she totally trusts God and and Jesus is watching there and his heart is seeing this lady and her last two coins, clink, clink. And he stands. And he leaves the temple for the final time. And in two days, in total surrender and in total sacrifice, and in total trust of the Father's plan again, there will be a clink, but this time it'll be a hammer as it drives nails to the Savior's hand. And total commitment is what he gives as the price for our salvation. Total commitment is what he lives and what he exhibits on the cross of Calvary. And clink, 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 the hammer falls and total commitment is lived out. Oh, what a Savior. Find what truly matters. Totally commit to that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful for the truth of, of this event that as you saw it, Lord Jesus, as you saw it and it impacted you so much, it's forever recorded in your word. I pray that we would be a people, first off, that put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we would understand there is no hope, there is no hope outside of Christ, Lord. I pray that as, as people here that maybe are, are sitting here and they're wondering what, what they're gonna find hope in, where they're gonna find peace and meaning, and, and maybe it's in my relationship getting better, maybe it's in, in my job getting better, my wealth adding up. I pray that today in the preaching of your word, Lord, they would understand their only hope, their only peace is in Jesus. I pray that today, Lord, will be the day of their salvation. I pray for many here today that have put their faith in Christ, but we have a hard time totally committing. We have a hard time understanding it's gonna cost. We're gonna have to turn loose and surrender. All of it's steeped and built in trust. Lord, help shape us in that. And then I pray that you would find for yourself a people a growing people of total commitment. We lay this before you. We tell you we love you. We tell you we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.